only one. I, I mean, there are probably several if we go back and think through it, but there, there's one that definitively stands out in my mind. It has to stand out. I wouldn't even say it stands out. It pretty practically gallops out. It kicks through both <laughs> doors, which I no, didn't know. I didn't know they opened. Do not say gallop. <laughs> yeah, I did not know they opened as well. But you know, it would have been really funny if David didn't know that they opened. <laughs> He's just like, hey, do these doors open? Welcome, everyone. Yes. This is Game of Bones. <laughs> if people don't know uh, what we were just referring to, we uh, were in Orlando almost two weeks ago at this point, right, mm-hmm. uh, for GeekyCon at the Orange County Convention Center. We did a live podcast with uh, David J. Peterson, and the man knows how to make an entrance. I'll just say that. Absolutely. I can't even <laughs> compress all of the thoughts that we'd love to share with you following our amazing experience at GeekyCon this past year. We were able to meet so many of you. We had an amazing time with the small handful of Game of Thrones stuff that we mm-hmm. were lording. Lording. <laughs> yeah, there's that. <laughs> and yeah, so we're here. We're back. It's been a week since we've spoken to you. We're still working out the logistics of getting that live episode to you featuring David J. Peterson. Suffice to say, it is worth the wait. Yes. I would say everything at that con, for me, I don't know about you guys, really surpassed expectation. The con season is in full swing. There is still more to come. But uh, what do you guys think? What do you feel now being midway through, having met all these listeners and having had all these wonderful experiences, having hung out with each other again in fictional lands? It's been it's been fun. <laughs> They're not fictional. I think we should do it more often. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. Well, let's do yeah. that tonight. You know, we're back. We, we, we said that. Yes. Our yes, live absolutely. podcast is on its way to, you, to your ear holes uh, shortly. Hopefully we, we are able to get our hands on that. Mm. But in the meantime, we can dive into this mystical fable land. Guys, can I just say I caught up? on the chapters that I missed during our travels to GeekyCon. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm still picking my jaws and my jowls off of the floor. Yes. If I would have had a a lot of those feelings, our live show would have been a little bit more uh, emotional, more emotional than it was. If I could have referenced the Black Gate with a mouth opening. Yeah, speaking of jaws on the floor. Oh, my (laughs) Black Gate. Well, well, that was exciting, but then there was also that uh, the HBO president had that announcement before our show. There was just like a huge yeah, going in. Yeah. There was just one reason after another to be super mega excited. And coming off of it, I still feel that that excitement going into these chapters. Yeah, we, we were able to speak about the massive news of an eighth season being confirmed, possibly more, possibly uh, whisperings of other things coming our way. I mean, there's a lot to process, but we were able to get that news before our live show. So that sparked up a lot of really fun discussion back and forth between the audience and us and just ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it was just a lot of fun. And uh, David's staying busy. It's quite busy. (laughs) It's uh, good times. I guess to tease a little bit of our conversation with him, didn't he mention that he worked on eight episodes uh, for season six, yes. which is quite a lot. I'm going to leave that number up to you, Micah. I'm not I sure. Think, I think that's right. I was closest to him. I, I should remember this. But Eric and Micah were referencing as the episode started about him kicking through a door, and I feel like this may be too spoilerish to one of our episodes, but I don't think it'd be fair for us to release an episode uh, and not mention it. Um, he did enter the stage in epic fashion and did just, just rip-roaring just uh, yell at the crowd and Dothraki, and it was beautiful and amazing, and he sounded very authentic at the end. Yeah. Dothraki, which, of course, he's had to brush up on, given Danny's whereabouts this season. Okay, mm. okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and obviously, uh, David's going to be working not just on season six, but beyond, and you guys touched on eight seasons. To me, this is 
just huge news. We're yeah. going to have another entire season, another 10 episodes of Game of Thrones. It, it, it signals to me that the showrunners believe that there is enough story there to tell uh, that's not going to fit into seven seasons. I, I don't see this as a play by HBO. I know Michael Lombardo made this announcement uh, to try and get more, uh, you know, out of this. You know, try and really squeeze all the juice out of the orange. That's that to me. That's not what's going on here. I, I think they legitimately feel that they need another season in order to be able to tell this story, and that makes me hopeful that you know, we're going to get possibly the winds of winter and and maybe even the final book before all is said and done uh, i i would i would really like that you know from a personal standpoint i, I and it's you know, as a reader yeah. yeah as a reader it gives you a little bit more hope because you know that now we have at least you know three more years here to work with that's one of the most exciting parts and we talked about this in orlando but Guys, and I'm not just speaking to my two friends here. I'm speaking to all of you listening. Like this changes everything. The dynamic of what we thought <laughs> was going to be crammed—I say crammed—with uh, love uh, into seasons six and seven. I mean, the, the whole dynamic is different now. Absolutely. The things that we know are g- getting crammed. I keep saying that the things that we know are getting made into what is being filmed now. We can sort of we can comfortably feel okay. Maybe the in the creative process, there's not that much of a rush, right? Yeah, I say that not having read past what we've gone into here on the show, but you know what yeah. I mean. Like it just everything feels different. Mm-hmm. I think that to me, it 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 just signals that they want to do this the right way, and and they want to not try to your point to cram everything in because season six filming right now. And then after that, you'd only have one more season to finish right. telling the story. Right. And I'm sure that there's a way to do that. But here's the thing. If you look at the, the tradition of, of these books, they're 1,500-page books. So that means you were you would be taking The Winds of Winter and you would be taking A Dream of Spring, assuming that stays the title, and cramming it into just two seasons. And to me – a book a season is it's just not going to work knowing what they did with a book like a storm of swords right and right. what we've sort of theologized what we can expect from the next two books i'd exactly. like to think that it's going to take several seasons to properly condense them onto the screen i feel the same i mean we get another storm of swords book and it will take two seasons to tell the story yep. it's exciting that's good. Mm-hmm. Not to mention all of the news that's happening right now uh, surrounding filming. Oh, if you're yeah, and casting. S- if you're yeah. unsullied and interested in all of uh, all of those details, which I, I suppose we're all sort of on the same page now on most things. We are. Yeah, we so, can yeah. openly discuss these things. If you're not familiar with what's happening, Hair Watch is in full swing. Uh, go to Watchers on the Wall <laughs> for uh, a, a full report. Though, regularly. I will say, Mr. Lombardo also very adamantly stated that Jon Snow is dead. I saw your takedown of him on Twitter. I'm tired of this. It's not a takedown. I mean, look, I'm all for them trying to spin it the way that they feel will work best for the publicity of the series, but I'm just getting a little bit agitated by the whole Jon Snow is definitively dead idea because... You have to remember there are people out there who have been reading these books for a long time. 
who have been sitting with the truth of this and and not spoiling show watchers for the last several years and you know they've been trying to come up with all different types of theories as to what his fate ultimately is so to have a you know a, 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 an executive like Michael Lombardo come out and say that he is definitively dead yeah. and to have the showrunner saying he's definitively dead and to have all these other people jumping on the bandwagon saying he's definitively dead. I don't think it, it really sits well with people um, because quite frankly, I don't believe that he's dead. <laughs> well, I, and I, well I think George. too, speaking with somebody who's gone through the books more than once, we're going through the first time we have ideas and reasons and examples of how things may have happened that he's not dead or if he's dead, he's not gone. You know, I can't imagine sure. s- sitting on some of these books for years Right. Rereading, coming up with, I mean, I'm sure there there exist quotes from like the Ghost of High Heart as well, like weird stuff she said, like could all be possibly rolled <laughs> yeah. into one giant theory. And that- it's like, well, Snow is yeah. dead. We said Snow is dead, but Targaryen is really alive. Or- oh, maybe that's just a stretch. Yeah, the, the, you know? the, the Snow part was assassinated. But that's too much in the technicalities. I, I, just, I just said leave it. Leave it to people. Let them yeah. let them theorize and let them have the discussion. It's a healthy to have this yeah. discussion. You want that kind of buzz? Why would you want? They should have done what the Lost writers did. You know, they did the 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 radio silence in between seasons. They even had a podcast, uh, Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof, and they would during you know week in week out of the show comment. But in between, after the finale, nope, that was the yeah. uh, territory of the show watchers, solely them, as it to, should be to speculate. I so I I like what what they did, and and HBO is doing uh, what would seem to be the opposite as hard as they can. But I think it's because they're trying to combat some of these filming reports of Jon Snow, of Kit being back in Ireland, you know, with long hair, hadn't cut it off, all that stuff. I'm curious. That's all I can say. I'm curious. I'm not sure. We're all sort of in this together, right guys? Mm -hmm. Listeners and us patiently waiting for season six, patiently waiting for some kind of sleuth to get in with a, with a, proper photograph of Kit Harrington in actual costume. <laughs> it's like, all right, well, I really, okay, fine. Well, why is he in costume? Is he just really miss filming Game of Thrones? <laughs> Max von Sydow has been cast. Legendary actor, loved him in Skyrim. This is also very exciting. A young Ned Stark reportedly cast. I mean, how do we wrangle our emotions? And let's not even forget about Ian McShane, which that news dropped when we were in Orlando as well, didn't it? I don't know where to be- to begin there because any role I don't know I can't really talk about this because uh, I'm a I'm a huge fan of Deadwood and I'm a huge fan of this what this actor has done in all of his roles. Can you imagine that presence in the throne room as a Mad King? No, that's an idea. Probably a bad one. No, it's it's a good idea. I I think uh, there's a, obviously a lot of different uh, characters that uh, people are speculating about that he could potentially be playing. Uh, but the Mad King would definitely be a good one that I would I would love to see. Just knowing, oh God, I would love to see him with silver hair. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine the anger? No, because no. we know how he can portray anger. He'd be perfect. He'd be absolutely fucking perfect. <laughs> What's interesting to me though is I know going back to previous Comic Cons, they've done those videos where they've revealed the new cast for the upcoming season, and of course they've had the characters that they would be playing and i wonder why they didn't choose to go that route this year i mean is it specifically because they've caught up mostly with the book so any new mentions of specific 
character names may be a bit spoilerish. Well, maybe they're maybe they're no longer bound to adaptation in the way of their secrets that they're keeping now are show secrets, and they're 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 no longer. Uh, things that they owe people because the books have existed beforehand. In this particular case, Max von Sydow is playing the Three-Eyed Raven. So we know that for sure as a character. Yeah, that's true. the show and the books. So, yeah. Damn. There's just certain roles that are being kept under wraps. I think that it's got a lot to do with what both of you are saying. I think it's a little bit of... Well, a lot of this is very explanatory to what is coming next, and that will totally ruin part of the magic of why you watch this show. So, for the most part, it's like uh, a lot of a lot of folks love the detective work, but at the end of the day, I think deep down, massive, massive, massive fans, especially now that we're caught up so far in the books with the TV show, mm-hmm. will want to remain unsullied when the time mm-hmm. comes, or when it actually comes down to brass tacks. And also because I mean, they did it last year. Why do the same thing again? You know, just just mm-hmm. try different things at Comic Con, and uh, I think that they did, and they're continuing to do that. Yeah, well, and and I love this idea of young Ned uh, reportedly being cast because it means that we get to go back in time in some capacity. And I know that this is an area that, generally speaking, the showrunners have steered away from, with the exception of uh, the prophecy from the beginning of season five, and uh, we know from a dream standpoint, really the only person's dreams we've gone inside has been brand. So mm. to, to get another opportunity to, to go back and to experience Westeros as we do in the books uh, is, is something special. Well, for me, it seems the only way forward for brand for brand's character storyline, because he's in a place where those dreams that can tell of the past, present or future exist and you know he's going to be i guess presumably trained how to use those abilities of sight so i i did expect it but i didn't expect it to the degree that there are entire areas and scenes uh, of importance being cast uh, presumably and you know i don't know we'll we'll seem to get a pretty good eye onto startling moments by i guess through through different character size perhaps i'm not quite sure how that's going to work but i'm excited to guess at it same. Man, you just blew my mind, Zach, about the Mad King thing. I did not even think that, that was <laughs> open. Just, I I'm did just... not even think that that role was open, dude. I was like, I'm still kind of just, wow, he just said that. Zach just guessed that. <laughs> I can't, I don't know, man. It, it probably won't happen because there's so many other things that could be flashed, air quotes, back to. You know what I mean? Like through through yeah. a vision or through beautiful storytelling. Uh, why would it go to the throne room? for the Mad King, like, or, or in any other place that he's depicted in the past because he's now dead in our current series. Why would they do that? I was just thinking right. about how crazy it would be to see him yelling and screaming with wildfire around, like how fucking brutal that would be yeah. and how beautifully cast that would be. Well, I mean, we already got that story told by Jamie, right? And I yeah. think in the book, he's kind of like, but we got it without the flashback. So it's like, and it was powerful having, uh, you know, the actor having Nikolai talk about it and Brienne sympathizing without yeah. the flashback. But to see just some of Shit. the intensity, some of yeah. the, and of course, I mean, the characters that are dead still have uh, a high amount of importance placed upon them by their descendants, by people who are using their um, lives as an example for how to rule or how not to rule. I mean, the Mad King got a shout out by Tyrion. Um, Danny's, you know, constantly, I guess, thinking of him. 
Um, it'd be crazy just to get like a, a, a really for to be able to see in television format the uh, the the crazy. I think we're getting into the fun stuff now, though, especially knowing that there's going to be eight seasons. Imagine the possibilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're 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 right now just daydreaming about how cool it would be to see a glimpse of what has been rumored and spoken of and and storied legendary whispers throughout this entire story, both through the books and through the television show. Just imagine how many. Yeah excellently cool scenes not only that it looks like we're gonna get in the form of a young ned stark like uh think about that guys where do we know where young ned stark was in a site once i'm thinking turning at heron hall that's one possibility mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. That, that that's where my mind first went and you know the night of the laughing tree and mm-hmm. to, to be especially because the groundwork was laid last season between uh baelish and sansa in the crypts of winterfell we know that liana has Supposed ties to Jon Snow, so how does that all play itself uh, into the equation? Well, what does that I, matter if he's dead? Well, uh, <laughs> look, they, they they need to resolve some things about yeah, agree. Uh, his background, even if he's gone, or could his background still, despite him being dead, quote-unquote, have implications to the future of this story? Uh, that remains to be seen, and I just like... Young Ned, as Zach mentioned, but how about if we're if we are now allowed to to dive into the past and let's say a character like Bran has the ability to, to sort of channel that, we could see Sean Bean, we could see mm-hmm. Mark Addy, we yeah. could see those people come back who have done an amazing job, and we haven't seen them really since season one mm-hmm. as Ned and Robert, and and just to get that potential interaction again would be amazing. Yeah. And that's one of the cool parts about being this far into the story, but for it to still be so popular, the creative force behind what we're seeing, I feel like if there's any time in, in media to make a few leaps and bounds in storytelling, make a few, take a few risks, it's where you're already signed and where the story is so vast and rich and you already have such a passionate audience built in to play around with stuff like that. I, I don't know if it's going to happen, but what we already know we're getting is honestly more than what I expected that we would get. Not in my wildest dreams, but in, in my truest of hopes. I feel like there's a lot of fans that could have felt the momentum start to die at this point, like I've read in comment fields over the years. But we've got a young Ned Stark cast, right? That's right. I mean, yeah. You know what I mean? It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Super cool. I saw one other uh, small piece of news, which could be good news or bad news, depending on how you look at it. Oh. And that was that... <laughs> David Bradley confirmed <laughs> that Walder Frey will return to Game of Thrones. Sorry, Eric, do you need a lozenge? Yes, I need a lozenge. David Bradley did say that uh, Walder will make an appearance at some point. We don't know if that means for season six or somewhere down the line, but that's huge news because yes. we haven't really seen much of him uh, since the Red Wedding, except for that... Uh, the cleanup. I think that was yeah, the following the, episode. The cleanup. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the falling action. That's of, a nice uh, way of putting it. <laughs> No, it, it is big news. I mean, we we continue to get references to the phrase, to what they did, to what they have coming to them. We like to believe they have a lot coming to them. But one of our chapters the, today too. Did you guys notice that? Yeah, yeah. And then the chapters today too. There's there's more of that, but it just does not seem to be happening anytime soon. So this uh, quote from David Bradley uh, gives us some hope. Well, there's going to be plenty of uh, casting news that continues to come out over the next couple of weeks so i would just encourage listeners to let us know what you think i mean obviously we don't know 
hundred percent who some of these people are going to be playing, but I'm sure you all have your theories just like us. And let us know what you think about eight seasons. I mean, <laughs> come on now. <laughs> if you can't get excited about eight seasons, then Eric Skull may or may not be being cast as a child of the forest. <laughs> <laughs> if gonna, wishes were words, they're gonna make you no, shave. If wishes were slips of employment, uh, that would be awesome, dude. Yeah, I can it's, imagine. Uh, I, I don't know. I th- I think I look a little old. I look like I'm like 17, right? Movie magic, dude. Mid adolescence. Yeah. This is uh all. We're, we're obviously we're excited. We're coming down off of a, an amazing weekend, and um, it's just good to be back with all of you. Yeah. I think now we have to shift into. A uh, totally different gear, though, and talk about this story. I know we, our heads have been buried into a storm of swords. Yeah. Hey, I got a question. Do you think Danny is still going to be in Marine in season eight? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to start off with a question because we've heard a lot about this, and we've we've talked about it even a bit at times on the show. But Danny's progression. Mm-hmm. You're reading a chapter like this. Clearly, there's some action. There's some notable moments, but are are you feeling a slow burn with her? I mean, do you think it needs to pick up a little bit? Are you, yeah, are, are you starting was, to get why yeah. people feel the way they do about her chapters? Do you mean in the books? Yeah, specifically it was kind in the of a books. joke when I was thinking about it when I was reading it, which is that uh, it's a playoff of what Jorah says about a Dothraki wedding. And it's like a Daenerys chapter without uh, an assassination attempt and a eunuch going to the bathroom is a boring and dull Daenerys chapter, but but we have both of those things in this chapter, so it feels it felt good to me while reading it. But okay, I mean, just actually, what I appreciated uh, was again just uh, George's complexity, how he's able to go into detail without boring my face off. Just even when um, later in the, I mean, first when she arrives at Marine and is experiencing this hero. Yeah, <laughs> trying to go through her men to figure out who sh- she can sacrifice. First, she wants to ignore it. Then she can't ignore it. Then she, you know, has to pick a guy, and she picks the perfect guy for it. Not just because he succeeds, but because it makes the most sense. So, seeing her work through it's the biggest insult too. But well, yeah. But seeing seeing her work through that problem, and you know, this chapter is just one problem after another for her that she works through is actually quite fascinating. So I, I'm enjoying the slower burn i guess uh, the last time we, we saw daenerys was everything that went down in yankai the misha moment mm-hmm. the here are the heads of people i used to be friends with moment i mean it was all there <laughs> and it was a, it was nice a while ago out. it was it was it was long before the depression of what eventually led into the red wedding and i feel like we grow to miss her it really depends on how you read the books our our pace is different than I think what most rapid fans would be because we're mm-hmm. reading on such a slow schedule to create a program for all of you listening. If it were me reading at home, this I feel like I'd try I'd burn through this you know as quick as uh, as quick as I could like with the Potter books back in the day uh, yeah. because it's it's as compelling and as as rich I mean more rich in detail in a million different ways and so it's right it's it's beautiful and it feels great. So when I get into a chapter with her, I'm I just kind of don't want it to end. You know, because you don't get enough. And then it's back to a Tyrion chapter. Not to dog on a Tyrion chapter. I love Tyrion chapters. But, you know, he's going to meet Shay again. 
And I wonder if they're going to have sex this time. Oh, they do again. That's good. <laughs> oh, they do. You know, that's pretty much all that happens in the Tyrion chapter. I know we'll get to it, but I mean, there's there's some more nuance. But in general, I felt that the Danny chapter was pleasantly plump um, and mm. certainly more detailed in comparison. Like Brown Ben. Mm. Uh, Brown Ben. Just like Poor Brown guy. Ben. <laughs> <laughs> this, Can't catch a break. Right or, or strong Belwas. This chapter beautifully set up the way we're supposed to feel Marine is sort of a a compilation of the cultures that she's been seeing and how it's much more grand and uh, they've got their shit together, so to speak. Yeah. And we, we have the, the champion out, out front, which is obviously vastly different than how it's presented in the TV series. I just wanted to, to point out one thing that, that Arson said at right at the feet of Jorah, right in front of Daenerys while all this is, being decided and it's interesting because it kind of mirrors what happens at the end of the chapter he says a man who fears battles wins no victories sir this small little sentence can make such an impact on someone like daenerys who's so young but is in such a powerful role and uh, who's making so many large-scale decisions how even when her kalisar even when they all agree with Jorah's advice, which I'm sure doesn't happen altogether too often, about how dishonorable it <laughs> would be. He was feeling to, pretty happy about himself. <laughs> he was. To to continue to go after a city that really would does nothing for them when they have a larger goal in mind. I don't know. It's just interesting how um, I feel like some of the Targaryen of old uh, may have bled onto someone like Barristan and how it's sort of bleeding onto someone like Daenerys now across the world. It's interesting. And her reasoning for choosing to go ahead and try and take the city of Marine, they really did, uh, they made a point of showcasing the children uh, in the show that Danny comes across yeah. uh, that, that she really uses as her personal reasoning. Yeah. F- f- for saying that she will not forget the number of children. She will not forget the faces of the children that she had to take down. She will basically avenge their lives. Each and every right. one of them. And and so that that's really her main reasoning behind yeah. not going with Jorah and, and making the decision to head west. As she says that she needs to make good on what uh what was done to these children. And not only that, but Marine provides refuge, it provides sustenance, it is 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 a huge resource for her at this point to feed all of her people. Intimidating though, it's so intimidating to get into and she's not sure at all how she's going to do it and and I think if I'm remembering the cities correctly, unlike the show, she does not have any trebuchets and cannot break any chains uh on the battlements by <laughs> by lunging them at the at the wall so is that the right city i mean that was You're right in the show too You're right, right? Yeah. yeah okay they don't have any of that there are no siege uh towers no wood in fact the people of marine very intelligently cut down any growth for no whores miles no whores nothing and it's it's a it's fascinating to see the thoughts go through danny's head because she even if they were to go west a great majority of them would not of 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 her camp would not make it. Right? Isn't that the truth of it? No matter what, though, it is. Is she, is she really able to take the? I, I, see, this is where I fail to understand what her ultimate goal is with mm. liberating all of these people. Is it to raise up these cities and to give them all the opportunity to take back Marie and take back Young Kai? Uh, and, and, and to really 
self-govern, which obviously we've seen that fall apart uh, in the TV show. We learn about it and, and how things are going extremely poorly in places that she's left because the reality of the situation is she can't bring all these people to Westeros with her. Plenty of them aren't even trained for battle. They're, uh, what did you call them, mouths with legs? <laughs> <laughs> which is an interesting uh, – someone photoshopped that and sent it to us. Please do. I think a lot of her motivation is what she saw. Scorched fields and poisoned wells had greeted her at every hand. Worst of all, they had nailed a slave child up on every milepost, every milepost yeah, along the coast road. So well to adaptation. Guy. Nailed them up, still living with their entrails hanging out and one arm always outstretched to point the way to Marine. They knew that she was coming and they nailed children for 163 miles, pointing yeah. her the way to go. Like, hey, we're over here. Yeah. That's why she wants to take Marine and not walk away. It's her pride. It's well, it's yeah. It's it's a lot of things. It's a lot. They, it's a whole lot of things. They challenged her quite, quite a lot, quite a bit for for the children. The the best thing about those children on the milepost, and it's a horrific act. But in George's description of them, he goes and does it and describes them. But then she comes back to it in her mind later in the chapter. I forget what's happening, but she she comes back to it, and then it's mentioned, like, the birds that they had to, like, scare away to get rid of the, the you know, get, to get off the corpses to take them down, and you're just like, oh, man, just when you thought there couldn't be any more heinous detail about what these people did, there's more of it for you. Prometheus. <laughs> it's pretty bad. As a leader, though, Micah, to answer your question before, she's going to lose people on her march west, and I think you were basically saying she's also going to lose people trying to sack Marine. It's going yep. to happen. She's also going to lose people doing whatever her next step is because that is the nature of the beast that she is driving. But as a leader of a militia, essentially, a large military force uh, filled with, with, with people that are fighting and aren't fighting, it's clear that victory goes to who can spend lives the best on which side. And I think her conundrum now is what is worthy of this life spending? And it, it can harken back to weaknesses that we've seen in Westeros, whether it be men like Tyrion with how he's weak with Shay, whether it be Theon's pride and the trouble he was eventually led into. We're seeing an example of, of that weakness in Daenerys, but it's obviously for what we would consider a much more honorable reason and a much different situation. It's still what is inside of her coming out and bleeding in her decision-making. And in this case, it's how do we spend these lives? And the way that she chooses to spend these lives is to stand in front of the walls of Marine, allow Strong to take down their their just dastardly valiant champion and all of his voluptuous <laughs> hair waxed into horns and his 14-foot lance. Uh, this is the decision that the Mother of Dragons has made. It comes down to ultimately what is her plan for these people though because is it city building is that what she's looking to do is she looking to open the gates of marine and to allow those which she has told that they were free to follow her to come inside and mingle with the local miranese and just assume that they're going to want to stay there and not continue to follow her until wherever she ends up you know it's it just seems like she's leading mm -hmm. them astray. She doesn't. She doesn't yet, and I'm not saying she won't, but she doesn't yet have a a, a really strong purpose and really strong decision as to where she wants to go and what she wants to do. That's what we've seen in the TV series, though. We've seen mm -hmm. what has happened because of her decision here. We've seen her sort of punishment 
we've seen her sacking of Winterfell turn into what happened at the young Greyjoy. You know, we've seen what has happened when she makes a decision based on something along the lines of avenging 163 children, where that is a very honorable thing to do. Is Jorah right? Is leading them across everything that they've essentially crossed to, to, to make it this far and to go back to Westeros? Like, is that course with all of their ships that are there and, and eyesight? Gifts from Illyrio that they've renamed into Old Valyria before the Doom. Mm-hmm. Think about it. Like, it's just, you know, yeah. the story is telling a story of all these decisions and how they domino into many different things. And I think it's a beautiful thing because we're looking at a scenario here where we agree with what Daenerys is doing because of what she's seen and what they're doing. I mean, to add insult upon injury, the guy is pissing at them. All of the nobles on the walls <laughs> are pissing at them. It doesn't matter if strong comes back with just a massive shit and a wipe and a loot and walk back to the olive court. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it, it all, all of it is added up. And it's like, we've been justified as we're reading to Danny's decision, but doesn't a huge part of you, us and listeners listening, like wish that, okay, well maybe just this one time, take a hit to your pride and take a hit to all the things that you should have avenged and just go back to Westeros and, right. and take some people down. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I prefer, to have Westeros be down a couple more kings before Danny gets into the mix. Uh, it's said in this chapter that her dragons need a couple years before they can even be ridden, so I feel like that may have been the first indicator, if there were not others previously in the books, that she may be here for a little while or may not be yet able to fulfill her destiny. I think for now, with her people, she needs she really needs a hub for them. She needs this walled city yeah. for people and, and all of its provisions. Yeah. The flip side of it is that she is this liberator and in, in this, this character that you can really admire on, on, on some levels, but also right. are a little bit frustrated with on others because you don't necessarily know what her her ultimate intent is and i and i think you you see it a lot in this chapter with with not being overly decisive you know she still has people that she relies on for counsel but yet she doesn't always choose what is the most rational and you know what though maybe that's part of an appeal to her character too is that in the war of however many kings or she's people- also like 13, 14 she, she's old. young and she's she's not she she part of her is making this up as she goes along and and that's actually what makes her different from the other kings or the other people who are vying for the throne you take a man like stannis he knows exactly what he wants um and danny knows that she wants the throne but but she is allowing herself to be caught up in this local uh tragedy or local experience i mean if you think about when she crossed the red waste and found karth um and duck sauce wanted her to stay uh, and was urging her to stay and and there was a part where a part of her where that had to consider it um because for the first time in ages her people were safe and well fed um protected by a a wall of city and there seemed to be enough going on to to hold her interest i mean i i think that that is uh represented again by marine but that's just a guess because having only seen the show uh in marine and seeing in the books that she's still outside of it by the time chapters over i i don't know how it will be different but i'm sure that it will be and and i didn't mean to you know get into a discussion that that detracted us from the major events that take place in this chapter because no, there no. are there are quite a few mm-hmm. and we we touched on the 
bell wasp battle <laughs> and he's just a, a consummate yeah. badass yeah he really is isn't he I'm, a, I'm disappointed he didn't make it to the show i know it's a it's a damn shame especially with the poetic justice of what happened in this scene yeah well i i, I want to read uh, her description actually her justification because Ricaro is asking uh why that one galisi he is fat and stupid and she says this is brilliant strong Belwis was a slave here in the fighting pits if this highborn Osnak should fall to such, the great masters will be shamed. Well, if he wins, well, it is a poor victory for one so noble, one that Marine can take no pride in. And this is interior monologue. And unlike Sir Jora, Dario, Brown, Ben, and her three brother writers, the eunuch did not lead troops, plan battles, or give her counsel. And then she says he does nothing but eat, eat and boast and bellow at Arston. So this, this, he is the perfect man for the job, and this is exactly why. If she loses him, not only does Marie not get to gloat about it all that well, but she's not losing a general in her army or any of the men who are closest to her in terms of counsel. It's no, that simple. She'd it's, be losing a true showman. Oh, man, yeah, well, that, there's that. <laughs> at the gates of a, of a, she, of a warring be, city. Oh, his theatrics are just so, man, on <laughs> yeah. point. Performs like he's in a pit, uh, and he's got a prize at the end. Dario, with his blue hair, his ridiculous blue facial hair, uh, probably brings out his eyes. But beyond that, that's the, he's he's sort of a poser uh, theatrician in, in comparison to Bell West. Yeah, Strong brought the thunder, needless to say. It was beautiful. I love how you call him Strong. <laughs> uh, and I just, I, I I don't know the man, but I miss him. <laughs> <laughs> there have to be these gems in the books, though, that just make us love the books. I think that's kind of the point. I like the fact that he is willing to let his opponent cut him. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty dangerous and kind of stupid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's ballsy. He lets every person he fights cut him. Is that what he says? Yeah. He's like, look at all the scars yeah. in my belly. It's how many men I But killed. Danny knows, yeah, but Danny knows exactly what one little cut across the chest, not that it's a little cut by any means, but right. what a cut across the chest can do. Yeah, she's uh, like, let's get that stitched up real quick. Yeah. Strong bellers need no tinkly bells. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a nice offer, though, that they that they you know, chose to... Give him a little bit of the Dothraki tradition. Yeah, Eri's like, I will braid your hair. Because everyone yeah. was impressed with what he did. All everyone. Her Daenerys, her handmaidens, yep. her friends, mm-hmm. Dario, Jorah, Barristan. I'm sure the people in Marine were like, damn, that was pretty ill. A beautiful. <laughs> I'm sure they were. And not to not to jump into the show's depiction of it. Like I understand what they did to make Dario, especially new Dario, like so charismatic and mm-hmm. badass to us. But strong now come on come on we got eight seasons we're strong bell ass <laughs> the dump yeah yeah i'm trying to find that quote my phone died so i'm like rifling through i'm riffling trying to find the quote and can i just say horses though they just do not fare well in this story. i feel no, really bad don't. for the horse yeah and i, I mean, just saw the godfather recently and it, it's, oh that's the worst horse trauma the defenders on the walls began firing their crossbows at Belwes, but the bolts fell short or skittered harmlessly. Perfect word, by the way. They skittered harmlessly along the ground. The eunuch turned his back on the steel-tipped rain, lowered his trousers, squatted and shat in the direction of the city. He wiped himself with Osnek's striped cloak and paused long enough to loot the hero's corpse like a video game and put the dying horse out of his agony before like trudging back to the olive grove. And it then goes to say, the besiegers gave him a raucous welcome as soon as he reached the camp. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they were hooting, screaming. There was a great clangor. The unsullied were cheering. They were almost happy. It was beautiful. There's the, uh, 
could you imagine a better scene yeah. in, in an episode yeah. that, that, than something like that? I mean, oh, man. I know. I know. And Daenerys has got the bloodlust in her eyes. She's like, I must have the city. Mm-hmm. And that's where it begins. This is where the talks, the uh, this tragedy comes in. We've, we've spoken a lot about how uh, we've learned Marine is so impenetrable. And uh, mm-hmm. certainly after they've cleared out all of the resources in the general vicinity, they don't really have anything other than the, the souls that they walk on and, you know, their horses. And they're, they're a massive army. But as we've learned from... Well, all of us listening, to either making this podcast or listening to this podcast, just using logic and, and, and using our years of being exposed to fantasy. Uh, great cities usually have stores of food, and they also usually have a sewer to get through. Mm. And that seems to be the winner. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to mention the boiling uh, oil, but uh, I, I, I kind of wonder if pressed with boiling oil or shit that gets up to your head, um, which, which you made it out once, right? He made it out of the sewers once, except when he was in there, he looked and saw that the line on the wall was higher than where it was currently, so that during high tide, like, it could be worse. That's 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 what you're taking away from this, is that it could have been a lot worse getting Always out of a the silver lining through the sewer. Oh, my God. Even in the sewers of Marine. I, this, for, for a strategy, this is sick and brilliant. I think it's I think it's beautiful. I think it's more beautiful the man who's telling the story who's been I'm assuming nicknamed to follow his uh, legend of escaping <laughs> when he used to be a slave inside of Marine. I really like the the back half of this chapter really when when Danny goes for her, her sort of evening trot or it's not evening she can still see the sun but you get an another idea yet again of how deep the camp is. Um, she's leaving one area, going to the next, going to the next, and all the people that she meets and sees while she's just kind of going back to the back of the camp. You just, again, realize how many people have joined her cause. She is somebody who is not afraid to go out amongst the people and to speak with them and to interact with them. And uh, the other thing that you take away from at least parts of, of her walk is that there are groups that are very much in order and and are you know preparing for what is to come but then there's also really the common people and and those that have chosen to follow her from previous cities that are struggling that that are hungry uh they're sick um in some cases they're dying right uh and th- this is all part of what I don't think she seriously thought through when she decided to go on this whirlwind tour of hers. And, and, and that's something that I think we've always said that's counted against her a little bit uh, because she, she – I don't want to make this comparison and say she has a, a, a saving people thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. you, you, both, you both know where that comes from. Uh, but no, I, 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 I believe that she has um, – you know, it, it is – good-hearted and and sees the injustice in all that is going on but it's just so very difficult for her to really save all of these people and in fact you wonder the conditions that they're in you know are are some of them in ways worse off because they're following her you could argue no because they're doing it of their own free will Um, but the conditions themselves are some of the conditions worse than where they were previously Hmm. It's just something to think about. I mean, it. I know we could probably spend an entire episode talking about that 
mm-hmm. alone and and just kind of her path through the the first few books and her her liberation of of different places yeah. and and what that's meant to those cities um you know we've we've seen examples of it in both the book and the TV show now but uh you know she she does go on this stroll and she encounters somebody who initially she believes to be just a, a a freed person who is overwhelmed with joy to see her, but then takes right. it a, a step too far. She's used to just, she's been going through the crowd. People are like reaching up to her, just trying to get a little bit of luck, you know, like rub my pregnant belly, um, name my pregnant baby, <laughs> hope that everything turns out all right. But this guy particularly, she doesn't even look at him. She's like, not so hard. When he, when he grabs her because, you know, she's used to people just kind of reaching up uh, through this ride of so many people. And it says, and then she saw the sword. It's a humbling moment for her in a way, too, because she's uh, she's a little bit naive in the fact that she thinks she can go out and just walk amongst the people and, and not expect anything bad to happen. Uh, you know, she, she yeah. chooses not to take her blood riders. She yes. takes Whitebeard with her. Uh, which chooses, you know, excuse me, which which ends up being a, a good decision on her part. Not to say that the completely adequate the blood riders wouldn't <laughs> have have done similarly, but it's just um, a, it's it's a bit of it's just a little ignorant, you know, that that you think that you can go out and and just not encounter any sort of issues. She's in a she is in a hostile place, Marine. I mean, the people behind the walls probably would do a lot worse to her. Um, but I think what it is is probably this false sense of security because she knows that anybody who didn't want to follow her could have left at any time. She would not have punished them. That's where it comes from for me. Is I'm thinking, well, if there were people who didn't like her, like Miro, um, they could have just walked off and not had to deal with it. She didn't even know he was at large, you yeah. know, which I'm not sure if that would have changed her mind without she's handling this. But I think, you know, like what you said, is right. She, I think she, at the end of the day, wanted to feel safe with her people. I think that that was probably yeah. the most do- dominant, like the reason she chose to do that the most. I think she was making a point. It's probably the most significant lesson to learn too yeah. from from this experience. Is ah, you're not really safe even among your own people. Right, and maybe a Keep little bit of foreshadowing to to things that happen later on inside of the walls of Marine. Yeah, but I just think it's important in general just to pay attention to stats and know that statistically speaking, there's probably going to be uh, at least one or two crazy people that will pull you off of your horse, <laughs> whether or not they want to kill you. Like they may just be wanting a lot of luck at that moment. Just prepare yourself, right? And other dragons. Of course, we get the reveal of the Titans bastard who was uh, quite the character in the television show when we met him. Uh, he lost his head very early on. Obviously, he survived. Uh, in in the books and it made it here to Marine uh, undercover and uh, gets into it with uh, Whitebeard and uh, that man he's got uh, some moves yeah uh, for his age I, yeah. I love I love how it's basically said um, earlier in the chapter you've got strong Belwas and this is happening far away and it's happening so quickly Danny can hardly follow. With Arston, later in the chapter, it's happening right in front of her, and it's so quick that she cannot follow. It's just like, oh man, his moves are legendary. 
and he's so spry for his age. It's quite shocking. The old man fainted with one end of the staff, pulled it back, and whipped the other end about <laughs> faster than Danny would have believed. Yes. The titan's bastard staggered back into the surf, spitting blood and broken teeth from the ruin of his mouth. <laughs> the ruin. The ruin of his <laughs> mouth. Whitebeard put Danny behind him. Miro slashed at his face. The old man jerked back, cat quick. <sighs> the staff thumped Miro's ribs, sending him really reeling. Arston splashed sideways, parried a looping cut, danced away from a second, checked a third mid-swing. The moves were so fast she could hardly follow. Missande was pulling Danny to her feet when she heard a crack. She thought Arston's staff had snapped until she saw the jagged bone jutting from Miro's calf. As he fell, the titan's bastard twisted and lunged, sending his point straight at the old man's chest. Whitebeard swept the blade aside almost contemptuously and <laughs> smashed the other end of his staff against the big man's temple. Yeah. Miro went sprawling, blood bubbling from his mouth as the waves washed over him. A moment later, the freedmen washed over him too, knives and stones and angry fists rising and falling in a frenzy. That was a pretty cool death scene for him, knowing that the freedmen who finally got up, well, that they just kind of, if he isn't, um, if he doesn't have a fractured skull, if he's not completely dead uh, by the time Barristan whacks him <laughs> in, the, in the face, then the, these freedmen with their knives and stones will finish him off. Instead, in the show, he just got an off-screen beheading from Dario. He's really bringing the, bringing the staff back. You know? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't even need to be a magic staff, but you can no. break a leg and, uh, yeah. and break a face. You know, you know what you're doing. Cyril Pharrell taking down Marin Trent. Anyone else with his little wooden sword? I'm just saying. It yeah. could happen. Yeah. It could happen. And uh, Barristan could. Selmy is a clear representation of skill, discipline over all of those years. Very humble about it, though. Very humble. He, he kneels. Your grace, I am an old man and shamed. You should never have gotten close enough to seize you. I was lax. Well, for how good he is. Yeah, that guy got yeah. a little close. You know, I'm just saying, like... <laughs> yeah. like I see where he's coming from. An apology yeah, I do see where he's order. coming from. Apology accepted. Da- yeah. Daenerys has to be taken back to her tent. She's huddling yeah. in the pelt of a lion, uh, which that's... That's pretty that's, nice, right? That's, yeah, that's, that's pretty... Uh, yeah. That's pretty nice. Usually I imagine her in like Ravenclaw colors, but uh, now she's she's huddling in a lion. Very fancy. Jorah Mormont approaches, and he's like, all right, all right, who are you? He was actually well-known for being pretty tough, and you're pretty old. We actually all mm-hmm. know that you're pretty old. We didn't even consider to put you out and fight the champion earlier. What's your deal? I'm not a real old man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am old, but I'm... <laughs> I am old, but I'm not really who I claim to be. That's like playing chess in a public park or something and the guy destroys you and you're like, hey, um, you played chess before? And he's like, I'm, just, I'm a grandmaster. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. I wish that I played chess Thanks. in a park outdoors. I've always wanted to do that ever since that Pixar skit. Um, yeah, it's fun. Jorah, he's like, that beard though, I knew I recognized yeah, you. Yeah, he's seen it before. The chick is up. It's like he was wearing a, one of those funny disguises the whole time, and then all of a sudden he's like, oh, <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Yeah, but this is how you like Scooby figure, Doo. This is how you figure yeah. people out in this day and age, though. You recognize their, their clear skill, and it, it appears that somebody does not just best somebody like the Titan of Bravos, or the Titan's Bastard, sorry, without you know having been trained to do it. And, and I, I, I was shocked. I don't know about you, Zach, but... Seeing how the events roll out from Arston, yeah, uh, 
now. Because, I mean, first of all, the, the character of Arson Whitebeard, I mean, in the show, he immediately introduces himself as Barrison Selmy. Right. There's the brilliant moment where I served your father, and it was a terrible shame that he was killed, and I served Robert, but I'm repentant and had mm-hmm. to come and find you. You know, all that stuff, but but there's none of that extra real dynamic here of him having been somebody else. She feels, uh, she, Danny, feels both betrayed and somehow endeared because he saved her life. She feels like she owes him something, but while at the same time she should kill him immediately. It's it's yeah. really unique. It's a strange mix of emotions. Not something that we've seen before, even though this has been portrayed in the TV show. This is completely different. Mm-hmm. The way we're supposed to feel all this, like you said, it just kind of happened. It just started sort of cascading. The moment that he spoke and said, this is who I am. I'm Barristan Selmy. Jorah sticks a sword to his throat, which, I mean, you can understand after all that they've been through and after how far they've gone for a member of the Kingsguard to be right there, especially one as dangerous as him. Uh, Jorah, you know, it's understandable that he would react so sharply. But then again, um, two things. Uh, He has been there and he also... Um, just protected her and is clearly part of their ship. And and the yeah. second thing, how can Jorah judge? And that was what Barristan was saying. Like, listen, man, if I can't be trusted, you sure as hell can't be trusted because you're not anywhere near as honorable as a person <laughs> or story or fabled as I am. And you're questioning me. It's like the audacity of who these people are. This would not be happening in Westeros. Like, Barristan Selmy is leagues and leagues and leagues above Jorah Mormont. But here, Jorah Mormont is sort of, he got the upper hand. And right. I think for a moment, Barristan Selmy is just incredulous. He's just like, come on now. Like, and that's, I think, I think that that's why someone as tough and as level headed as him just came out with selling Jorah out immediately. Because I don't, I don't think he was in the right state of mind after all this weirdness was happening. No, it, the line, to your point, is the crow calls the raven black right. and you speak of betrayal. Right. Mm-hmm. So it makes a lot of sense. It, it seems light, but I think this is what would have happened. You know, I think that the, especially feeling such a high tension. After yeah, I mean, it. just knowing that Barrison was on the small council, that he was in a, such a position of power and was just thrown away by by Joffrey, um, Cersei, the people, the powers that be. It's It's a perfect sort of uh, redemption arc. I mean, not to advocate on behalf of Barristan, but I will. I mean, he took a pardon. You know, what what other choice really did he have at that point? I mean, he, he was somebody who was so well-respected amongst pretty much everybody, maybe with the exception of Joffrey, uh, but he but he took the pardon from, from Robert. And I don't think you can really blame him for that. No, no, he wanted to serve the king. That's what he does. Ned, Ned certainly doesn't blame him. I mean, Ned... Ned Remember, he points out, you know, you're an honorable man. I think it was honor. I think as long so long as the circumstances surrounding the change in power uh, happened in a way that was that that Barristan could get behind, he would serve the new king because, frankly, the the old king, the Mad King, was doing real terrible things yeah. that shouldn't have been happening. He knew what kind of um, man he was, and he did. He didn't break his oath. Someone killed the king, and then he swore an oath to the new king. But this, I mean, this man sought her out. He wanted to serve her. He wasn't coming to her to do her any ill will, unlike initially Jorah was. And you know, that huge revelation, uh, and, and it really it really impacts her deeply. And she gets so frustrated to the point where she decides to dismiss both of them. And 
you know, they want nothing more than to be in her service. And she comes up uh, with a plan, or so it seems at the end mm-hmm. of this chapter, as to what both of them can go and do. They're going to be climbing some shit pipes. Yeah. <laughs> Watch out for the basilisks. It's are are be all the Knights good. of Westeros so false as you two? <laughs> Get out. Before my ba- dragons roast you both, what does roast liar smell like? Mm. As foul as Brown Ben's sewers? Go. I, and I love that she immediately thought of the prophecy and of how the betrayals yes. would happen. And yeah. she specifically asked Jorah, because he, he's like, I, but I, before I came to love, she's like, do not say that word. Do not tell me that you love me. How could you? And this was what was great. She says, what did the usurper promise you? Gold? Was it gold? Mm. The Undying had said she would be betrayed twice more, once for gold and once for love. Tell me what She's you like promised. She's like asking him, so is this gold or was this love? She really wants to t- tick off the box. And this is the best part. Varys said, I might go home. So does this mean he did it for love, love of his home? Oh. People do things for different reasons. And this is a, a much different situation than the show because obviously, as was already mentioned, Barristan is revealed early. And so he gets the chance to really endear himself to Danny over time. And then Jorah gets dismissed later on. Yeah. Now you're in a situation where both of them are getting dismissed at the same time. So what, if anything, can they do to get back in her good grace? Well, luckily for them, this is happening at such a crucial moment where she needs all the help she can get. Once they sack the city, once once yeah. she gets Marine, what's going to happen with that arc? Yeah. Does it just not? Is there no tension between Danny and Jorah? Is there no tension between Danny and, and Barristan because they've redeemed themselves after several showers? She'll allow them uh, <laughs> back into her presence into her small council. Maybe maybe like a showers and like some scrapings. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I love that we can do that, though. You know, like yeah. we've gone through the show with all of you, and now we're going through the books together, and we get from week to week, from episode to episode, from Daenerys chapter to Daenerys chapter, speculate how something is going to pan out for us that are unsullied. So high five, because I honestly don't know how it's going to turn out with these guys after they come back, if that's what they're going to do, and they have to work together. After just uh, ratting each other right. out, <laughs> what a pair! You know, what a pair! I would have loved to have seen that. Just more bears than selling me the TV show would have been would have been excellent. I know we got a little bit oh, with the man. I forgot core. he was gone. Damn it! Yeah. Ugh. Well, sorry. I know you guys mentioned some tension between characters, <laughs> and there is definitely some tension going on between. Uh, I see you read chapter eleven of uh, my Sansa. transition book. <laughs> Tyrion dressed himself in darkness listening to his wife's soft breathing from the bed they shared. She dreams, he thought, when Sansa murmured something softly, a name, perhaps, though it was too faint to say, and turned under her side. As man and wife, they shared a marriage bed, but that was all. Even her tears she hoards to herself. And that's the end of the Tyrion chapter, actually. That's it. That's all of it. <laughs> Just checking in. Yeah, man, it's it's rough. The, uh... <laughs> uneasy marriage of, of Tyrion and Sansa, just knowing how the show portrayed it. I quite adore what, what the show did because mm. it seems like in the end, Sansa was able to appreciate him um, a little bit. Uh, the fact that he's not touching her, the fact that he, I mean, he is sleeping in the same bed, which is good. He's not on the couch constantly, um, but it's, it's rough. She won't cry in front of him like for, cause she's not taking the chance that, 
that will get passed on that she's somehow weaker admitting defeat. I don't know. But ultimately, he'd have all the sympathy in the world for her if she were to cry. But she's not allowing him that. I think that. he has sympathy for her, though. I, I think yeah. this chapter shows that he actually cares quite a bit about her. And uh, it's reflected in the fact that he still treats her with more respect than any of the other uh, people whose last name is Lannister that happen to live at King's Landing. And, uh, you know, he's respectful of her time in the Godswood, which we find that she is still going regularly there. Uh, and the fact that he isn't intrusive, you know, that, that he lets her be and, and lets her cope with everything that's going on. I mean, we find out some pretty graphic details about yeah. what took place uh, following the Red Wedding, uh, or I guess as part of the Red Wedding, um, to Rob and to Catelyn. Yep. And you know, having to, you know, as a family member, live with the details of that, live with what's happened to her family uh, over the course of, of the last you know, several books, uh, it has to be horrifying for her. And, and, and if nothing else, he wants to actually be there for her. He wants to try and, and, and help her get through this. And I think that that demonstrates uh, just what kind of a character he is. Definitely. He's, he's nearby. And uh, he's nearby during what we can obviously gather is an insanely horrible moment. Not knowing the particulars of what happened at the Red Wedding is not enough to curb any of the terror and knowing that uh, more members of your family have passed. Yeah. And she's smart enough to gather what has happened. She's smart enough to gather why this has happened. And she's married to one of them. No matter how nice he is, it's such a, it's such a painful situation because we like both of these characters and we, we, we both we want them to like each other. But the story that George has written has just made it impossible. It has it is impossible. And it's it's difficult. It's painful to to read. It's painful to know that they're sharing these kind of kinds of moments with each other. I mean, we do have a saving grace. Tyrion's housing situation has been upgraded yet again. He's got a really luxurious apartment over the kitchen <laughs> keep. He's out of Mager's Holdfast. He's away from Cersei. So he's got this wonderful spread. Bronn can sleep there. Podrick can sleep there. It's really nice. And and so that's, you know, something as as people who enjoy, you know, uh good living, uh we can we can get behind. He's got his squad. Yeah, he's got a squad. His wife's comfortable in her dismay and in her sadness. It's just a a, a token moment with Tyrion Lannister learning how he's handling someone else's misery and taking so much of it onto himself. That right there is is a, not a problem point for me, but just knowing that his relationship with Shay, which really kind of seems to save his, his, his happiness in this chapter, um, knowing that that goes sour and, and looking forward to reading into the book because I'm sure it'll be different in the show. I'm still not over how quickly things turned around um, in in the show. And I really want to see, I mean, just reading this chapter with the events of the show to inform it makes it very difficult for me to believe that, that Tyrion is, is safe. I mean, they have a, a wonderful, delightful time in this chapter together, Tyrion and Shay. Um, it's, it's really adorable, really just darling to read. Um, but... Go on, I, please. You just... She's she's a darling. She's wonderful. And how could this possibly this relationship possibly go go wrong? You just don't know. <laughs> we're in we're in such a we're in such a I can't tell if you're being sarcastic or serious right now. No, we're we're in such a 
a really nice place for Tyrion and Shay. I don't know. For me, this is painful to read because yeah. I can see Tyrion's spiral into giving into sort of an addiction, something that he has to have to feel whole. And what it is is visiting with a whore and having her say that she loves you. I think she does that voluntarily. Like, well, she's getting in his head because she knows he likes it. Yeah, it, it it is painful to to read through this, knowing the true nature of of Shay's character and ultimately how things play themselves out. And maybe there is a bit of her that actually does care for Tyrion, but I think at the end of the day, her motives are not are not uh, pure. I mean, I'm on I'm on Team Shay as being genuine here myself well okay we'll see yeah i mean there's no reason at this point to think otherwise of her and and you know Tyrion is looking to take care of her he's looking to marry her off and and to make sure that she's safe and that right uh, she stays as far away from cersei as possible just for me i feel like in the state that he's in you know he's missing his nose he's going through all this with sansa his wife has just gotten news of her mother and oldest brother dying. His wife will not sleep with him because they they have an arranged marriage that's you know completely <laughs> against what they both want. And he's lighting a taper, making his way back to the servant steps and descending. The floors below his own were still, and he heard no footsteps but his own. Down he went to the ground floor and beyond to emerge in a gloomy cellar with a vaulted stone ceiling. Much of the castle was connected underground, and the kitchen keep was no exception. Tyrion waddled along a long, dark passageway until he found the door he wanted and pushed through. Within, the dragon skulls were waiting, and so Love was Shay. So we, we reached the place where two men were meeting to talk about some very highly secretive things before, and it's the same place that Tyrion is going to visit Shay, who's already undressed with her dress hung up on the tooth of a dragon, which he can only <laughs> assume is Balerion, is it Vagar? Yeah. And they immediately go to business. And, and something uh, just to note that I thought was... Um was interesting is that they mentioned Balerion and Vagar, and they did in the previous chapter as well as Baratheon when talking about the ships. Yeah. Uh, so I know we we always read for the most part chapters in pairs, but just that they were reinforced that you know these were the ships in in the previous chapter, but now we're actually physically walking through a hall that has their skulls. That Tyrion and Shay are getting freaky on, <laughs> yeah. which, which is a little weird. It's kind of like uh, well, getting 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 busy in a graveyard. It's fine, and that's good. You know, I hope that they have fun. I really do because it's not like he's breaking some kind of vow to Sansa in reality. So like, it's not like there's no fallacy there. But for me, I yeah, see he wonders a man. If she'd be happy for him. <laughs> she wonders. <laughs> she probably would be if he told her. Yeah, I don't. Uh, know. I think she probably likes Shay. But at the end of the day. Um, we're seeing someone that we've grown close to, and we're seeing him. We're seeing him, you know, basically fall prey to his uh, motivations. And uh, I feel like he's just ignoring. Like when he's when she asks him, basically, what's wrong, what troubles you? He goes through my wife, my sister, my nephew, my father, the Tyrells, Varys, Pycelle, Littlefinger, the Red Viper of Dorne, the face that stares back out of the water when I wash. That's she, deep. She says it's a brave face, a kind and good face, and she immediately switches back to them hanging out. I wish I could see it now. Yeah. To someone as as sharp as he is, her concern for him as a person is so shallow, uh, comparatively speaking. While he's inside of his mind, wondering a way to create a safety net for her inside of King's Landing, trying to find a way that she can be as close to him as possible and to be safe and to possibly 
live luxuriously, like to live not only just to live, but to live well and to have a good time. He he cares about her enough to not be with her anymore, mm-hmm. to marry her off to someone like Braun. And for him to even consider uh, gracing her presence with uh, you know, the, the hand of Braun, she must really be special to him is all I have to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love Absolutely. I, I love that line about what eating off the plate. You know, he's like, I could marry her to Bronn. He's never complained. We also learn a bit more about the dynamic between Tyrion and Varys in this chapter. Uh, Varys, and, and it's it's uh, well adapted in the show, but the, just the, the conversation about how he's not going to lie about Shay. You know, there are some things that he needs to be truthful about in order to keep his place. And uh, I thought that that really showed a bit about Varys's character and, and not that he doesn't care about Tyrion because clearly we know that if there is anybody aside from himself um, in Westeros that Varys actually considers to be uh, a friend, it's, it's, it's Tyrion. Yeah. I, I guess he's recalling an exchange that the two of them had. Right. When she uh, first at some point. came to King's Landing. This is this was a really short Tyrion chapter, but uh, I, I thought, uh, you know, it, it just did a, a good job of showing the growing tension between himself and Sansa, even though it's not, he's not imposing it and, you know, she's not necessarily imposing it. The situation is imposing it. Uh, and then also how he's trying to cope with somebody that he really does care for. And, you know, he's in a tough position because he knows that his father doesn't want him to be whoring around anymore and he knows certainly that Cersei will use Shay to her advantage uh, to to really hurt Tyrion. So it's how does he continue to manage all of these situations that uh, he's confronted with? You know, I think someone like him would be well suited for a role in leadership. What do you fellas think? I, I feel like if he could kick this whoring habit in Marine, <laughs> <laughs> if he could kick this whoring habit, no, I mean Varys is right to point out too that like the nature of his relationship with Shay, and he knows it. He knows it's a weakness. He knows that he should be better about that, but he's not. And Varys, I think, is disappointed. I mean, genuinely, if we think about the Tyrion Varys relationship in in previous books and in the show, how he's, he's so visibly. Um, disappointed in Tyrion's need to continue protecting Shay, um, need to continue seeing her. He wants to send her away. He wants Tyrion to send her away, um, but Tyrion doesn't. And I don't know. It's just funny because he's thinking about all this stuff. Then he just gets up and starts putting his clothes back on and hands her her shoes. And it's like, okay, see you next time. So I think we've reached that point where we have to go ahead and give our owns for these two chapters. We didn't give owns in our last episode, the one that none of you have heard yet. <laughs> they would have all gone to David. Let me just they would have all let me gone, just yeah. be let's That's be true. honest. Absolutely. Or all the people clapping. It was such a like a nice responsive audience. That was a lot of fun. Oh yeah, that's true. Okay, back to uh, this episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, for uh the Danny chapter, I'll go. Uh I already said mine but to Barristan uh Selmay for making the staff cool again. Okay. Just a stick of wood, man. And uh he nailed it. I also have to give my own uh, to Sir Barristan for the line that I read earlier and just, uh, you know, basically flipping the situation uh, right back on to Jorah when he says, the crow calls the raven black mm-hmm. and you speak of betrayal. And, uh, you know, he goes on to tell the story of 
King Robert and that he was pardoned and chose to serve in the King's Guard, uh, but then gets into the details about the small council and Varys' spy, and we all know what happens from there. But uh, Barristan, I think he owned most of that chapter, maybe with the exception of the earlier part. Hmm. My own, um, I'd like to give it to In McShane joining the cast of Game of Thrones, but I, I will not. <laughs> I'd also like to give it to Eight Seasons. Uh, I will not. Uh, Young Ned, Max, Dave Bradley, etc. I'm going to give my own to Strong Bellwass for everything that he is and everything that he did. I could go into yep. Minutia. You all know. You listen to this podcast. Yep. You are fans of Strong. It is impossible not to be. I love you. I wish you were with us in the show. And moving on to Tyrion. <laughs> um, my own goes to Lord Giles, everybody. Because, you know, before Tyrion uh, was appointed his chambers... Whatever Lord Giles did <laughs> to score such an awesome quarters, he doesn't necessarily, it didn't say anything about him living with somebody either. So Lord Giles has got this really sweet series of rooms real close to the kitchen. Yeah. I don't know what he did to earn them or to be to, to receive them, but you know he did something that was unworthy uh, to get them. So to the Lord Giles. Very good. I love that. Thanks. I think I have to give it to Varys just for what we were talking about before uh, with Tyrion. And he says to him, I confess I do not understand what there is in her to make a clever man like you act such a fool. I think he knows. That moved Tyrion too. He was like, damn it. What am I doing right now? I'm in a dragon skulls around me. What am I doing? I would also say the unbelievable graphic detail that was put into describing what took place following the red wedding uh the fact that uh yeah i finally understand why that happened now yeah um and mocking the tully uh funeral mocking tradition. the tully funeral rights yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that made sense so i, I get questioned that it i didn't i didn't know why but yeah. there it is a bit harsh a little bit yeah just a bit yeah. I think I'm going to give my own to Shay for making Tyrion work for it in the dark. She blows out his candle and makes him <laughs> chase her naked through um, a room with giant dragon skulls. So that's just something you don't read about every day. Own that's to you, Shay. <laughs> true enough. True enough. Uh, I do oh, want to give an honorable mention oh, to... It gets brought up when Sansa betrayed Ned, actually. I wanted to, Tyrion was wondering if he can even trust her. Uh, girls her age were not known for keeping secrets. It says, I thought that was interesting too, just hearkening back to Sansa's own betrayal of, of Ned. But uh, it's sort of, sort of a deep cut going back to the beginning of uh, book one. Those are deep cuts. And that's what we're mm-hmm. all about here on Game of Thrones. Getting to the meat. Remember, cut against the grain, listeners, when you're sitting in your owns. <laughs> well, uh, we did get some owns over on Twitter uh, for these two chapters. And uh, as usual, the listeners... Uh, did not disappoint. First one uh, from Two Parts Rye mm. says, The great masters of marine owned Google Maps. <laughs> 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 Hashtag Ouch. too soon. Yeah, that's Ooh. rough, buddy. We have one from Brienne of Tarth, uh, one of our favorite individuals on the World Wide Webs. She says, If I didn't miss the call for owns again, my Danny own goes to Strong Bellass. Thank you for being the only member of her entourage to not annoy the bejesus out of me. My Tyrion own, I got nothing. Shay just bucks me. <laughs> Take the hint. Well, Gary Manis on Twitter tweeted at us. The Manis. Own to Strong Bellass for thinking ahead 
and ordering a post-flight or post-fight <laughs> meal. Oh, I read that wrong, but it's even better if I read it wrong. Uh, but yeah, a post-fight meal. He does have a vast waste to consider. Hashtag Unix are people too. Sweet babies. He got that's, some liver, right? Liver funny. and something. Liver and onions. Mm. <laughs> liver and onions. Mm. Doug Funny, his favorite dish. James Silvona, own must go to Sir B for lightning fast reflexes against the Titans bastard. Sir B. Yeah. Jordan Mertens, my own for Tyrion 7, goes to Shay for her idea to poison Sansa with dream wine and fuck her husband beside her in bed. <laughs> Hashtag kinky. Yeah, How can that you was, not think uh, that's genuine? That was, that was really <laughs> involved. <laughs> my, uh, following that, my own for Daenerys 5 goes to the Unsullied for bathing each evening, even if they must use sand the Dothraki way. Hashtag hygiene. Gotta love, it works. Gotta love that. Hope I never have Watch to lost. bathe with sand. David Curtis at Curly Kale says, My own goes to Osnek for not only having a meager <laughs> manhood, but also a meager fighting prowess. Hashtag uh, nice one, strong Boas. Yeah. Absolutely <laughs> spotted by Danny. Nice. And Susan Stacy says, uh, For Danny Five, Sir Barristan owns Miro of Bravos and saves Danny. Mm-hmm. And for Tyrion, Shay owns Tyrion. Pure and simple. <laughs> okay. I see you, Susan. Reese Palazzolo writes, Daenerys, my own goes to Sir Barristan. For when finally admitting to lying about his name this whole time, pretty much says to Jorah, screw you. If I'm going down, I'm taking you with me. Damn right. Damn right. And for Tyrion, an anti-own to the phrase, as we find out the cruel fate of Rob and Grey Wind in this chapter. Yeah. This is where we find out. That's rough. Yeah. And Liz Baker said, for Tyrion, my own goes to Varys for the best line of the book. Ooh, wow. That, dude, really? In Storm of Swords, this is the best line of the book, according to Liz it's Baker. It's pretty good. It's Quote, pretty good. Is that the way of it? A man may have wits or a bit of meat between his legs, but not both? Question mark. True words, and I assume it uh, means to finish Nair Spoken. We also got a few emails here. Uh, the first one is from Monique, and she says, Hi, guys. Hi. Hello. Hi. Uh, my own for the Daenerys chapter goes to Sir Barristan for his, quote, If I'm going down, <laughs> I'm taking you with me attitude to Jorah. Not quite as honorable as you'd expect from a knight, but I liked it. And for Tyrion, my own goes to Shay for actually liking Sansa and not wanting to drug her and boink Tyrion beside her while she no sleeps. No kidding. Book Shay is a nutcase. I really like what they did with her character on the show. P.S. Is there any chance you guys are going to Fan Expo in Toronto in September? It's not as cool as GeekyCon, but it's the best we've got. <laughs> hmm. I don't know, Monique. I don't, I don't know. It's is too there... far to plan from now, right? Yeah. Uh, next email. From a Miss Christina Klein. She writes, <clears throat> Are the acoustics just better in the trunk? Referring to the famous trunk photo of 2015. I hope we're going to hear at least a little more about that in the next Patreon chapter. Hmm. Sure, why not? Uh, <laughs> yeah. AKA wink, yes, that will happen. We take requests. She goes on to say, So I could give my own to Brown Ben Plum for this bit of wisdom. There are old cell swords and bold cell swords, but no old bold cell swords. <laughs> Hmm. I'm not what a, a poet. Instead, my own for both chapters goes to the magical connection that exists between humans and their creatures. Ah, you say that a strike is chewing on his leg quite close to me. <laughs> all the dragons get all riled up when Danny gets upset, and then we see Viserion react to Brown Ben Plum in a way he hasn't reacted to anyone except Danny. 
Could he be a dragon rider someday? This is an Aragon. In the Tyrion chapter, <laughs> I'd bet a thousand dragons that the name Sansa muttered in her sleep at the opening of the chapter was Lady. Aww. Gone but not forgotten, and still living on inside her soul through the magic and mysteries of warging. Cheers to that, Christina. Cheers. Cheers. Thank Cheers. you. Dalliances. Best word ever. This is uh, this little, little taste of what happened at our weekend. It's just a lot of fun. I, I know that uh, you're all very excited to hear that episode, and uh, mm. we're excited to give it to you. We are. It's just been uh, a really good summer for our podcast, and we wanted to say thank you for sticking around with us uh, after the fifth season, writing in your owns. Obviously, there's a significant amount of excitement still pouring in, and I'm, I've just got this really strong feeling it's not going to stop for a good long while. So hang around with us. We're still having fun. We've got a really good bunch of chapters coming next. Uh, it actually sticks with Sansa and Tyrion for a couple weeks, I think. So a couple more chapters uh, with just those two characters alternating. How cool is that? Mm. That means another wedding is I upon think us. So. I think so. Of course, if you've seen the TV show, you know that we have uh, a lot to look forward to then. Yes. Uh, so keep your owns coming in. We went through pretty much every way that you can submit an own to us. You can tweet at us at Game of Owns. Uh, scroll upon our Facebook wall at facebook.com slash Game of Owns or shoot us an email at contact at Game of com. iTunes. I've never really done this segment, uh, so I won't. So I'm just going to say uh, our show's on iTunes and Eric will fill you in on the rest. Head on over to the iTunes store and search the directory for podcasts where you will find Game of Owns. And if you haven't already, we would encourage you to rate and review our podcast. This is how users browsing podcasts can find our podcast specifically as if it has a nice review and definitely without fail a five-star rating barristan selmy is still alive in these books and he will come after you <laughs> if you do not give us five stars i hear that nothing less is acceptable is, am i right in this I, I think i think that's about yes in the month of august nothing less than five is. stars mm, is acceptable there it is Zach, i mean as you mentioned a lot of exciting things are, are around the corner we're Just around in the midst the of season six news casting filming we're reading a storm of swords that's a pretty big deal <laughs> yeah no the we Black have uh, a pretty big deal I'm a lot of uh, other uh, plot oh, that's boy. being revealed as we go through uh this this book and you know look forward to additional chapters in this and and, and beyond and who knows perhaps we'll get word on another book with other chapters in it that rhymes with go on the, the dids of dinter <laughs> <laughs> That was not as much of a disaster as I thought it would be. Yeah, that could have been a lot worse. Yeah. So. <laughs>